Hello, welcome to the Clues Chronicle issue 28. It's Friday, October 12th, 2018. We are using Google to call between Phoenix, Seattle, and our guest's location. I'm recording with Audacity. I'm your host, Handel, Hoi Poloi, and my co-host goes by Kay. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi, Hoi. How you doing? How's it going? Nice to have you back as usual. Uh, in the interest of keeping it real together, we are continuing to broaden our conversation community by respectfully exchanging ideas with different perspectives on the subject of media. And Kay, would you like to share anything about your latest feelings on the media fakery or mass deception topics that we've discussed on the show? I just love how we're talking to regular people now. We're getting out of the echo chamber because I think if we want our message to be valuable, it needs to be heard by and understood by more people than just a, f a few. So really happy we're reaching out. I agree. Thank you. Um, and as you can guess, broadening our conversation does not necessarily happen automatically by just having the loudest media or, you know, the most well-funded media or creating even an open anonymous platform for dialogue on the internet. Sometimes it means stepping into new understandings by sharing ideas and even public disagreements, but with true respect and appreciation uh, for different perspectives. So this evening, we're, we're calling Mr. Lennon Honor, a media analyst who I think helps us all expand our conversation about the media. He discusses media and modern life from the standpoint of maintaining good community in your own family. And we'll be talking with Lennon Honor about media deception and how we may heal ourselves and our families from it together. Uh, Kay and Mr. Honor, how may I address you, sir? <laughs> sir, uh, I'm a regular old guy. You could just say Lennon. That's fine with me. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, it's a great pleasure to meet you and a, and a, and a high honor, uh, Lennon. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Thank you so much. It's good to talk with you. And thank you, too, uh, Kay, for having me. I appreciate it. It's our pleasure, really. <laughs> So I'm familiar with your YouTube video work on trauma-based mind control, video analysis of Disney cartoons, as well as your newest work on gangster rap and blackface. I hope you don't mind me saying uh, it's a very refreshing and healthy perspective you bring to uh, the global conversation on media happening right now. Uh, so oh, well, thank you. Thank, thank you for uh, making your work. Please let me ask of the group today that we have, the three of us, uh, in what ways might people need healing from media deception? Yeah, we'll have that for you, Lennon. We'll let you start off the conversation. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, what I think about is, is when we talk about trauma-based mind control through media, a lot of what is presented through media actually traumatizes viewers. And obviously any level of traumatization, whether it's physical, um, emotional, mental or psychological, uh, there is always going to be a need for some sort of healing. It may be a significant amount of healing or, or maybe just surface level amount of healing. And, and I can use an example because uh, you brought it up already. Uh, already it's, it's just examples um, present in um, hip hop, uh, in particular in gangster rap. Um, that type of imagery, uh, the types of um, projections of uh, or characterizations of individuals and in particular the characterizations of, of African-American boys and men as being uh, these overwhelmingly uh, violent, overwhelmingly irre sexually irresponsible, these uh, willing to to commit uh, atrocious acts of violence, predatory, etc. 
these types of projections can actually traumatize viewership. I'd like to give you two examples. As an example, I grew up listening to uh, gangster rap. Uh, the group that I listened to a lot was NWA. And I did a whole uh, analysis of their complete body of work, uh, all four of their albums, their complete discography. And, and one of the primary themes that was presented within that particular, um, in, in their music, in the lyrical content itself, uh, was extreme disrespect of women. For that to even be accepted by an individual as, let's say, an archetype for manhood is actually traumatizing. Uh, there are many young men, myself included, as a young boy, I received that type of programming. And though we may accept it as being entertainment, uh, we may accept it as being fun. We may accept it as being reflective of um, a general overview of the African-American experience. What I was actually accepting was a degraded view of women. Well, that's traumatizing. It's interesting because sometimes we think trauma is something that we can only enact upon someone else, but actually we can actually be traumatized simply by the types of media that, that we're exposed to. So in other words, um, receiving that type of programming early on uh, as a child, it did impact how I thought about myself, how I thought about manhood, how I thought about women, how I thought about male female relationships in a negative way. But that's trauma. You know, there's a level of healing that needs to uh, take place for that, uh, uh, for that level of traumatization. But there's another side to this too, that very quickly, and that is that oftentimes uh, media projections can influence other people's perceptions of another group of people. And so if there's other groups of people who are receiving certain types of programming about African-American males, and that type of programming is very, very uh, destructive, it's negative, it's extremely stereotypical, they may accept that, but they're being traumatized too, mentally speaking. And then how they begin to see African-American males will be more in line with the projection, the media projection, as opposed to the actual reality. So that level of traumatization is also something that, that must be healed as well. And whether we look at it in terms of gangster rap, we can look at it in terms of uh, any type of uh, music genre that's promoting uh, negative stereotypes about groups of people or uh, promoting sexism, promoting misogyny. Or if we're looking at television shows, dysfunctional male-female relationships being one of the preeminent themes, uh, television shows, uh, dysfunctional family institutions as being a preeminent theme. You can look at movies, you can look at magazines, uh, you can look at, I mean, porn as another example. I mean, it goes on and on and on. All of that is, is a form of trauma-based mind control. The idea is to traumatize people, render them into a state wherein their mental outlook is less than what it can be. And, and that is what trauma does. And therefore, that's where the levels of healing needs to, uh, to, to be put in place so that people can uh, become more sovereign of mind and reclaim their consciousness as opposed to accepting the media programming. Thank you. That's very insightful. And may I ask a question about that, where you, you just said um, that uh, sitcoms, for example, I, I agree that, that many of them have this negative stereotype of relationships of, of all genders and and having this, they're modeling to us bad relationships as a form of entertainment, as a form of making mm -hmm. us laugh. Um, and is it possible that some people come to these shows with negative experiences in real life, negative, maybe even traumatic experiences in their family, and that watching television might, with depicting these these so-called comical relationships, uh, could that be actually therapeutic? Because they're seeing something that... Uh, makes fun of or lightens the the um the impact of the of the of their trauma now i i don't i, I personally don't like television I, I especially don't like laugh tracks because i feel they're telling me what to t what it's telling me what is funny and what is not funny so i like constantly like disagree with laugh tracks <laughs> but i'm just saying that um 
if we're broadening the conversation to to most people in the in the United States, as an example, um, we'd say that probably most people just watch the show and they say, "Oh, but it makes me laugh. It makes me feel good." What's wrong with that? You know. Well, you know, I don't think that there's anything wrong with laughter. I think that that's a wonderful thing. We laugh a lot inside of our household. Um, but it, but I think the idea is that if there is a degree of trauma that someone needs to resolve, that if laughter helps them to cope with the trauma, that's one thing. But if it actually helps them to heal from the trauma, that's another thing. And I think that that's a slippery slope because sometimes we're laughing at things that if we really think about, it, it's not really funny. And, and, and by not addressing addressing it from an intellectual standpoint or from a, with this level of, of seriousness, if you will, um, the programming that, that, that we're reviewing while we're laughing at it, it may actually fortify in the process the trauma that we actually have. But then on the other hand, there's also people, maybe they don't have those degrees of traumatization, let's say as an example, male female relationships, and therefore for them, when they're watching it, they may be laughing, but as they're laughing, it's not as if they're doing that for some therapeutic purpose in terms of their own trauma that's associated with what they're watching. Now, what can happen is as they're laughing, they can actually be, begin to accept what is being displayed. They're being indoctrinated into accepting this notion that dysfunctional male-female relationships or dysfunctional relationships in general is something uh, that is not a serious issue, that it's not something that you should be concerned about. In point of fact, maybe it is fun and it's something that can be enjoyed. Mm. Yeah, wow. That's really thoughtful. Thank you. Mm. Um, so I have a question, Lennon. You said coping versus healing. Mm-hmm. So what did you mean by that? Well, I mean, we all have coping mechanisms for trauma. Um, as an example, there are people, their coping mechanism is alcohol. Um, drinking the alcohol may allow them to cope with the trauma or the pain associated with the trauma, but it doesn't necessarily heal the trauma. Mm-hmm. You see? Right. Uh, interesting right. enough, many times it actually puts them in a position where they begin to traumatize and abuse other people. Let's uh, use another example. Some people, drugs, it may be to them, it may make them feel good for a while. Um, but it doesn't necessarily heal the trauma. So I think it's important that there's coping mechanisms. I think certain coping mechanisms are important, and I think that there can actually be be a benefit uh, to a person. But there's a difference between coping and kind of maintaining the trauma as is, as opposed to taking the time to heal. I'll use myself, because I like to use myself as an example. One of my major traumas as a child was um, growing up in an abusive household. Um, And when I say abuse, verbal abuse, uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and I saw some very horrific things uh, growing up, in particular by, by my father and his abuse of, of my mother. But he was also abusive to us as children. I've also okay. had some relationship issues with my parents that um, involve the the trauma that they've imposed on each other and and mm-hmm. on therefore on me. And uh, so, yeah, I can relate to those things. And, and that's something that's pretty hard to share with the public audience um, now that I'm saying it and, and you're bringing it out of me. So... Wow, that you just go ahead and say it. Um, that's that's a very interesting way of um, of of making media about it. I I hope we're not traumatizing people out there about this. Um, I hope that we're no, I don't media think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, the, the way, but I think that this, um, and I'll get back to my point. But I, I think this is an excellent example, though, because I've spent uh, decades in terms of dealing with my own traumas. Uh, and getting to the point where I can talk with them, and I don't become emotional about it. And I don't. It's not. A, it's not a sad thing. It's. It's just something that I've gone through, and because I've gone through a hitting process, I can speak about it. And as I speak about it, I think it can actually inspire someone uh, to not only engage in their own levels of healing that needs to take place, but then also to know that you can engage it and then come out on the other side. There's light at the end of the tunnel, and you can become fully functional. You can be happy. You can be joyful, so forth and so on. So, so more than anything else, I think um, uh, 
if we can come from a place of healing when we talk about these types of topics, when we talk about our own, even our own personal experiences, and we do so candidly and openly, it can actually help other people to in their own healing journey because healing for all of us, we all have different degrees of, of trauma. So, so the point that I was going to make was that that for me, um, it, it wasn't enough for me to acknowledge that I had a traumatizing childhood or a trauma. My, I mean, my childhood was was. I mean, there's all types of stories that I can tell you that the different things that, that I, and very difficult things to, to deal with. One of my coping mechanisms, which was actually functional for me, was music. So, I, I, you know, I would play music. Whoa, and I actually went to college. To, I can so yeah. relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I actually went to college. I, I, mean, I went to a performing arts school and that helped me to help me to cope with the trauma. Now, uh, I also went to college and studied music. That, that helped me to cope with the trauma. But but the thing was that even though music was functional to that degree, it allowed me to be able to kind of cope with what I was dealing with as a child from a very early age. Music. Really, I really got into it. I think I was like in the fourth or fifth grade, and I really, and then by the time I was in ninth grade, it just consumed everything. I was practicing six, seven, eight hours a day. I would come over from school, lock myself in the bathroom. That locking myself in the bathroom was my way to escape <laughs> everything that was taking place. And like, sound familiar? Okay. So, so what I'm saying here is that that's a coping mechanism. Now, other people may have used a different uh, coping mechanism. They could have had the same experiences, and maybe. Instead of music, maybe it was basketball, maybe it was writing, maybe it was journaling, uh, maybe it, I mean, there's all types of things, but then there's also other coping mechanisms that, that may not necessarily be health, uh, healthy to a person. Maybe it becomes the alcohol, maybe it becomes the drugs, maybe it becomes, you know, hanging out with uh, with other groups of people who are, are you know, peer uh, and, and dealing with peer pressure, and then you're getting into all types of things that are actually uh, self-destructive. So, so part of what I'm saying is that there's plenty of different coping mechanisms. The idea is that we should choose the, the coping mechanism that is actually the, to our benefit, not to our detriment. But those coping mechanisms, while they're functional, they don't necessarily heal the trauma itself. They may allow you to deal with the, the trauma. They may allow you to get along in life and kind of move and progress throughout life, uh, through your life. But it doesn't necessarily heal, heal the trauma. The, the healing of the trauma is like the next tier to this. You know, it, it, it's, it's for, for me personally, it was more about introspection. It was more about thinking about my childhood and, and creating separation between my childhood experiences and how they impacted me as a child versus my current adulthood experience. And how I'm in control now. I had very little control when I was a child. Most of us, when we had our traumatizing experiences, we had very little control. But what happens for a lot of us, we may have a coping mechanism, but not a healing mechanism. And then now we're 30, we're 40, we're 50 years old. And we still think uh, from the vantage point of the disempowered child. And so here we are as grown adults and we still think. But the idea, and this is something I've learned, and I've gone through this whole uh, healing process, personal healing process. I've, been, I've managed to create separation between my childhood experiences where I had very little power. My mental state then uh, was very much limited. Uh, my, my understanding of what was taking place was very much limited. I had very little power. But that's different than today. Today, my mental aptitude is different. Today, the power that I have to actualize the reality that I want is much different. Creating that separation in and of itself, I mean, it's very powerful in terms of healing process. So on one hand, you acknowledge the trauma, but then you also recognize that who you are today, you're not defined by that trauma. Who you are today is an empowered human being. That's what you move, it's what, what you take forward and you move forward. And that allows you to progress in life and begin to move beyond the trauma. So there's coping mechanisms, but then there's actual healing. And the healing is, is ultimately what we want to get to. The coping mechanisms allow us to kind of uh, keep our feet in front of us and move uh, closer and towards that healing process. Wow. I'd, I'd like to get uh, to the topic of media eventually, but you've brought up so many interesting things. I'd love to dwell on one extra thing here, if you don't mind, which is the the, the concept that um, we can actually kind of remain in a childhood state because we've we haven't developed beyond the the feeling of the disempowered child, and mm-hmm. 
And, and yet, on the other hand, we've heard from all these wise people over the years. I'm sure you've heard some kind of quote like, you know, you must embrace the inner child. You must look at the world through the eyes of, of, of a child, you know, that kind of thing. There must be some positive aspect to that, too. Isn't there? How do we distinguish between what is the, the innocence, the joy, the, um, the positive aspects of the inner child versus the negative aspects of the inner child? Well, what, what I think about it, the inner child, I mean, it, it sounds nice. I, I think it's a, it's a wonderful idea, this notion that we have this inner child and that this inner child is pure and that we want to get back to that. But I think that the challenge is, I think for many of us, is that that inner child was traumatized. If we seek to see through the lens of the traumatized child, that's what I'm saying, we got to be more specific. If they right, said, right. Uh, let's, see, let's see through the lens of the healed child, I think that that's, that would be a more empowering approach. But see, for most of us, I think all of us, we have some degree of childhood um, trauma and, and the absence of that that. Uh, healing taking place um okay yeah we can embrace the inner child but if the inner child is traumatized and it is so it was so abused and it's still stuck in that paradigm then embracing it with in the absence of healing in the absence of creating space between it and you it being something that existed in the past and you being something that exists here today it being something that had very little power to actualize the reality that it wanted Therefore, it was exposed to different degrees of traumatization. Very little control. You being an empowered human being who has a great deal of control in the presence, in the present moment, in the absence of having that understanding, I think that it can actually be just to one's detriment. And I'll give an example of what I mean. I, I, I like to use the analogy of childhood trauma and how sometimes things can trigger us. Someone can say something and or they can do something. And because of the childhood trauma, the child clicks in and it kind of takes over. And all of a sudden you're responding based upon a childhood experience that took place 20 years ago, as opposed to your current experience as a grown adult. So, so the analogy that I like to use is, is a car. You're so, you, you want to be in control of your vehicle, your life vehicle, and you want to drive to where you want to go. When you come to the stop sign, you want to be able to stop. When you come to the light, you want to, and it says go, it turns green. You want to, you want to go ahead and, and start going forward, and you know where you're going. You're, you have a clear direction of where you're going. It's very clear as an adult. You're in the driver's seat. Well, part of the challenge, I think, for a lot of us is that that inner child, if you will, if, especially if it's had degrees of traumatization, its whole orientation is different. What it wants to do is it wants to jump into the front seat and it wants to go to wherever it wants to go. It's not concerned as much in terms of, of, of where you are at as a grown adult. It's more concerned with where it thinks it still is as a child. It's still stuck in a state of arrested development in the absence of healing. So if you can imagine now we have a traumatized child in the front seat, where are you going? You know, and, and, when, and, then, when, and then when the... When the light turns green, the child doesn't understand that, okay, now it's time to go. When, it, when the light turns orange, it doesn't understand, I need to slow down. When, it's, when it turns red, it doesn't, it doesn't click in its mind, I need to stop. Because all that the child is trying to do is just to try to create some degree of control, and they're putting their, their, their uh, foot on the gas pedal. Everything is erratic, just like a child. <laughs> a child will be that way. So, so, yeah. and, and, and more specifically, a child that has been traumatized. So, so what I'm saying is that I think one of the challenges for a lot of us is that oftentimes we have these experiences and, and, and we may react a certain way and we don't necessarily understand why we're reacting that way, but really what's taking place is something is, our trauma is being triggered and what happens is a child presents itself and the child jumps into the front seat and now it's in control of our vehicle. Now we're going left when we really want to go right. Now we're making a decision in uh, realm from relationships. We're choosing someone uh, who will present the child with another opportunity to rewrite their childhood script. They're choosing someone who's going to traumatize them in a particular way, even if it's unconsciously, choosing someone who's going to traumatize them in a particular way because now they get another chance to try to resolve the initial traumatization. 
You see, whereas an adult, someone who is, is, is sovereign of mind, they're going to say, oh, OK, I'm consciously I'm not going to choose that person because that's not the direction I want to go. I want to experience happiness in my life. Again, the separation between the child experience and, and, and adult experience. So all I'm saying here is mm. that um, the notion of embracing our inner child, I think that if we're going to do that, and it, especially for those of us who had a traumatized uh, childhood, what that actually means is as an adult, we have to be responsible. And, and we should take action to, to engage in the healing process of that child, because that healing, that healing process of that child is in part part of our own healing process. But as we embrace, we must also heal. But in order to heal, we have to understand where, what the childhood experiences were and, and why it is that the child will sometimes jump into the front seat, take control of the wheel, and now we're going in directions in our lives that we told we, we told you do not want to go in but again on the other hand let me just say this that there is also another aspect of this in terms of children and how they tend to see the world especially those who have not experienced uh, uh, extreme degrees of traumatization there's value in that being able to see possibilities we tend to as the older we get we tend to have this uh, kind of like this narrow-mindedness in terms of what's possible. There's dreams that we had when we were children. Now we become adults and it's like, no, I can't dream big anymore. You know, there's an outlook on life. As children, for, for many children, especially young children, they interact with each other. There's no sense that, you know, that person is, is I can't play with them because uh, they look a particular way. I can't play with that person because their hair is a certain way. Or I can't play with that person because, uh, you know, their skin color is a certain way. That's very liberating. But when we become adults, we start to get this narrow mindedness. You know what? I can't associate with that person because they're not in the same economic status. They don't have the same economic status that I do. I can't associate with that person because of their skin color. I can't be in a relationship with that person because the job that they're working isn't as prestigious as mine. See, children don't think like that. So what I'm saying here is I think that, yeah, we can embrace the inner child, but we have to understand where our inner child is at and what were the experiences of our own personal inner children, if you will, inner child. And if there was traumatization there as an adult, part of our, uh, our responsibility to the child within us is to facilitate the levels of healing that the child needs. Wow, that's very specific. Thank you. You were right. You went specific. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and But but like so so insightful. I mean, did you learn all this from... Just, I mean, was this your music school training? It sounds like something more no. insightful than that. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you know, uh, the, the beautiful thing about, uh, I mean, we live in an information age. I remember growing up, they were talking about, yeah, the inter- information highway is coming. You know, and I was like, what are they talking about? Like, what is this? And they kept showing these commercials. It was a highway. And then it would show these little uh, electric pulses going down. The highway. I was like, what are they talking about? Well, what wow. they were referring to was internet coming. You remember that? Some of us remember that. I, that, <laughs> right? that, that like brings back a very vague memory of that. Yeah. 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 So here we are now, you know, uh, decades later, and we have access to information, um, you know, instantaneously. And I spent a lot of time just accessing information on, online. And it's, it's been ongoing. I would say now um, it's been, you know, maybe 15 years now altogether. It's been a long time just accessing. But then, you know, of course, reading material. Um, the other thing, too, is in college, I was very much interested in psychology. So I took a couple of psycho- uh, psychology courses. But then later on, that was something that I really focused on a lot in, time, in terms of my study. But I'm going to tell you that the, the most important thing that I was able to do, and I think that this was um, uh, something that kind of propelled me in terms of my own personal development, was that I, I got to the point in my life where I recognized that, that if I was going to fulfill one of my childhood dreams, which was to have a beautiful family, a, a loving family, where there was no abuse, I was going to have, I mean, I, I remember, have, you know, it, I didn't have this exact conversation, because as a child, the language is different in how we process things. But I remember I told myself that when I 
when I have a family that I will never abuse my wife, when I have a family, I will never abuse, abuse my children. I'm going to do what I, whatever I can in order for my children to be raised in a loving household. That was a dream that I had as a child. Like that's something that I really aspire to. But then at a certain point, I think it was probably second or, or second year in college. I realized that the trajectory of my life, I was not necessarily, even though I was moving in that direction, that there was a, ro- a serious roadblock there. And that roadblock, Ahoy was my childhood experience. Uh, that roadblock, uh, K, was the childhood trauma mm-hmm. that had gone unresolved. Never went to therapy, never never went to counseling, never went to anything like mm-hmm. that. Psychologists, psychologists. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why I, I kind of gravitated to kind of st- doing kind of like side studies in psychology because I was really trying to understand myself. And I can tell you story after story of, of my childhood trauma being triggered and I would react in a particular way. And then after after the fact, I would think about it. I was like, why, am I, why did I do that? It makes no sense. Why did I get into this fit of, of anger and rage because someone says something and because of the word that they use, it reminded me of the words that my father used. And maybe it was just a, a phrase that my father would use and I would just snap. I would lose it. Okay, mm-hmm. I recognize. Right, okay, right, if, right. If, I, if that's where I was at, at, you know, while I'm in college, okay, well, how am I going to be able to be a functional husband and father? Because now in the future, I have a wife, maybe she says something. And, and that whatever the phrase is, it reminds me of something my father. And then I snap on her. Or what if my children, maybe they say something and maybe the experience it just triggers a trauma in my, they have nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it, but but it triggers something in me. And then I reacted to them in a negative way. So that was my great realization. And that's when I began to really look deeper into my own childhood trauma and begin to explore what took place, why. Um, also, I began to ask questions like, what could, what could have been done in order uh, for that not to have taken place? And also looking at it not from the vantage point of, what could have been done in order for me not to experience that trauma? Putting myself into it. No. What could have done? What could have been done in order for that child creating separation? Okay. Yeah, that child was me, but it is not me. It was. Okay. So, so creating the separation. And the more and more I began to analyze, like the childhood experiences, the more separation I was able to create. And the more separation I began to, uh, to create, the less and less of an impact that that child. Uh, began to have on me that inner child that would jump into the mm-hmm. to the front of the, the vehicle and take control and so wow. so what began to evolve out of all this was um strategies and, and and concepts and ideas that i began to implement that, that put me on course to continue my own personal healing and then here we are all these years later i'm 42 and now i have a beautiful family a lovely wife uh, we have five beautiful children there's been struggles of course but i can honestly say that i have never harmed my wife uh purposely uh, you know we make mistakes i never harmed my children never hit them or, or abused them and never hit my wife never yelled at her never called her out her name this total antithesis is the opposite of what i saw my father do but that's because I, i've engaged in this personal healing process to heal that child so that that child does not take control and then i react in, in, in a particular way that is actually self-destructive or destructive to my family Kay, do you have any questions after um, Lennon's latest uh, talk? Rant? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's 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 a hard balance, you know. Like I I love hearing you, and I just don't want to take up all your time. And and it sounds like we can make this show ten hours, and it would be really great. Um, and we've had we've had a seven hour long show before, but. Oh, wow. um, I'm also trying to be respectful of, of my partner's time and, and her space. So Yeah, uh, the seven-hour show wasn't done all at once, by the way. Oh, my goodness. Just, I love how you were, you made the conscious choice to be better and you analyzed your own behavior. I mean, that's, you know, you have to be brave to do that, I guess. And so, uh, you know, I know what you mean, just, if you're not going to think about your own behavior, then you're not in the driver's seat. Uh, there you go. So, yeah. yeah. So you basically broke it down uh, there, and I probably could have said the same thing. Uh, but 
you, know, <laughs> you broke it all down in, in one sentence. <laughs> she is so good at that. I look at the shows and I'm like, I just talked for 10 minutes and Kay just said one thing. And then I'm like, why did I say that? What? <laughs> why did I just waste 10 minutes of your time? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, it's real. It's real. Okay. So here's my question. Here's my question. Um, are you comfortable sharing any specific stories about feeling healed from a traumatic media experience? You know, distinguishing it yes. from traumatic life experience, oh, yes. real reality experience, but a traumatic media experience. Yes, yes. So one that came to mind instantaneously, because we already talked about this earlier, um, was gangster rap. But see, gangster rap was just an aspect of the media propaganda program. It impacted everybody, too, by the way. Um, it doesn't matter what uh, quote-unquote ethnic group you are. Uh, we, my wife and I, we don't... Uh, we don't teach this concept of race per se. We, re- we recognize that there are people who do have racist ideology, but this notion that we can separate the human species based upon the black race, the white race, the yellow race, the brown race, uh, brown race, and there's another one too, uh, like yellow or something. Yes, uh, there's another my, cut. I can't remember what my it is. My dad in the last show even. Orange. Race is a product of racism. Mm. I don't mm. know where he got that, but I thought it was an interesting mm. concept. I'd like to. Look yeah, well, that. the way I look at it is, uh, and not to get sidetracked, but but race, uh, the, con- the race is just a concept. It's a social construct. It's not a scientific one. You know, just to be able to say, look, that's a black person, that's a white person. That, there's nothing scientific about that. And, and the people who invented this, as an example, a contributor was someone named Blumenbach. They didn't even have access to, to high science per se. These were pseudo scientists. We have this social uh, construct that has done a great job, nefariously speaking at separating and dividing the species unnecessarily because it's just this one species. But what has happened is because of the division of the species, people begin to pick and choose and they, they take sides and all. And so then you create these different degrees of separation and then now behavior begins to be enacted based upon the, this, these degrees of separation. Well, th- that, those behaviors in, in some cases, that's where, you, that's where racism comes from. Racism is real, but the concept of race is just a social construct. It's not scientific. It's like Santa Claus. People can accept it if you want to. They're sure to believe in Santa Claus. But in terms of empirical evidence to to back up, you know, that Santa Claus actually exists, there's none of that. There's no scientific evidence for that. And there's no scientific evidence that we can break up the human species based upon black, white, uh, yellow, uh, brown, and red. That's the other one. Okay, so it's silly. It's you silly. already okay. used Santa Claus. So, Santa Claus is one of our favorite um, yes, ways of preparing things. <laughs> but it's interesting, Santa Claus still has power, even though it's a myth. It still has power. Where the concept of race still has power, even though it is nothing more than a myth. Okay, uh, so so what I was getting to was though we don't teach the concept of race, we recognize that racism is real, and and a lot of the media programming it can impact how people begin to see other groups of people. And we already used the example of gangster rap, but but I want people to understand that you know uh, late eighties, early nineties, getting into the the mid nineties, not only did we have this proliferation of gangster rap, which impacted how a lot of African American males began to identify themselves. Okay, even though they weren't necess- that wasn't necessarily them, but because they saw it on screen, they were trying to identify with something. They were just trying to identify with something. In many cases, their fathers weren't around. So there's always this need to try to identify with some male who kind of looks like you. Okay, so the, the gangster archetype becomes a symbolic representation of the father figure. It's on screen. It's in the music. It's in the television shows. It's in the movies. The movies that began to come out during that time correlated to a lot of the media programming in the music and in, in the entertainment industry. And there was a slew of these movies. I'm getting to the, I'm answering the question. There's a slew of these movies, okay? Uh, Boys in the Hood, Minister Society. Uh, New Jack City, et cetera. A lot of the the, the, the primitive themes in that was to promote, to promote hood life, but more specifically, African-American uh, male aggression, African-American male deviancy, African-American male uh, criminality. That's a huge one. So there was this one movie that came out, um, which was Minister Society. And I remember that me, it was me, uh, my girlfriend at the time, 
Uh, I'm in 12th grade. Uh, my best friend, who was a female, and another one of my best friends who was a male. Okay, so it was like a double date. And we went up, we went to go see this movie. So we watched this movie and the imagery that was being presented, all it was doing was triggering like these subconscious fears that I had as a young African-American male, that I was going to be shot in the streets, that I was going to be murdered by another African-American male, that I would end up in jail somehow. It wasn't as if I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. It wasn't as if I was out in the streets doing anything nefarious. It's not as if I was dealing drugs, any of the, but that's the imagery. And we had so many years of that. We were bombarded with that imagery. This was how you identify as being black and this is your lot in life. So if you can imagine, now you see this movie on the movie screen, and even though it's unreal, it becomes real to you because it's fortifying a lot of your belief systems, belief systems that, that were rooted in trauma-based mind control. This is your lot in life. This is who you are, and this is what's going to inevitably happen to you. And I always had this fear that somehow I was going to end up being murdered in the streets for no good reasons by another African-American male. But that was one of the primitive programmings in that meeting, the gangster rap, gang culture it's, itself. So, so what ends up happening is that we watched this movie and, and the graphic imagery and what they were talking about and, and how they saw, they showed the trajectory of these young African-American males. And at the end, how everything kind of ends tragically and there's murder that takes place and all this stuff. What happens is we come out of that and see what that's doing. It's all that's trauma-based mind control. It's traumatizing us. It's re-traumatizing us. It's, it's reinforcing these belief systems that we, that we have accepted through mass media mind control programming, trauma-based mind control programming. We, we had gotten it up to that point for, for what, seven, eight, nine, almost 10 years. So we come out of the, the theater and we're coming into the lobby and we were walking out and, and towards the front where people were exiting, someone decided to turn around and say, um, everyone run, something like this, everyone run, they're shooting outside. And it was total chaos, total pandemonium, people running, tripping over each other, people just scattering. And I'm doing it too, because what's happening is now what we saw on the screen, which was triggering all this trauma, and we were basically all of our negative beliefs about ourselves and what would happen to us as young African-American men, all that was being fortified by what we were doing. It was a myth, but it was real to us as we were watching form of entertainment, right? But now we step out into the real world. And someone just mentioning that without any evidence or proof of anything actually taking place. That's the critical part of this, because there wasn't anybody shooting. But because someone said that, all of a sudden, everyone just erupts and people are running all over the place. People are stamp, uh, stomp, uh, stampeding all over everybody else. And, and what happens is in the midst of all of this, I'm running. Uh, my girlfriend's running. My, my two best friends are running. And everyone's trying to hide, trying to hide. And after a little, and everyone's uh, at a certain point, everyone kind of freezes and waits. And everyone's kind of waiting to see what happens. Nothing happens. Why didn't anything happen? Because no, there was no shooting. Someone just issued a statement, but because of the programming that we had previously received, we were we have already in this heightened state of, of fear already. And then on top of that, we've had That's years incredible. and years of indoctrination. Now, now here's the thing, just to get just to bring it all home, because I remember this to this day. Um, at a certain point, I found my I find my girlfriend, and then I found my female uh, a best friend, but I couldn't. I, I was unable to find. Uh, my my male best friend, and I'm looking around, looking around. I'm thinking something bad has happened to him or what have you. And then out, out of nowhere, I hear him yelling and screaming. And he's like, "Lennon, Lennon, where are you at?" He's not calling for the for the uh, females. He's calling for me. And the reason why is because in his mind, the programming always says that as a young African American male, you're going to be the one that's going to be murdered. Mm -hmm. Okay, and we have this subconsciously this belief. So, so he's yelling and screaming, and I'm looking around. I'm trying to find him, and I end up turning around, and he's he's standing like maybe ten feet away. He doesn't see me, but he's in this ultra emotional state. Tears are coming from his eyes, and I'm like, I'm right here, I'm right here. And he goes down to the ground, and he's just he's like this, and he's crying. This is in the midst of us, you know, we're uh, high school students, African American male high school students, and, and we're in the movie theater, and here he is in, in the middle of the lobby crying. 
And I'm trying to keep myself together. I'm trying not to cry because I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to become emotional. But what ends up happening is once we get into the car and we start driving home, the tear starts to come out of my eyes. I just, and I'm just crying there. Uh, my girlfriend didn't understand why I was crying. And my female best friend, she didn't understand why I was crying. The reason why I was crying was because the, trigger, the trauma had been triggered. See, so that's an example of, of media. So on one hand, you have it on the television, you have it in the movie, but then just because the fact that we watched it in the movie, all someone has to do is now suggest that something like that is about to happen without any evidence or proof. And now we're triggered and we get into that state. That now, is so deep. Oh, there's so much. Let me just bring it story. home. Let me, bring, let me bring, bring this home. It has taken me decades. It has taken me decades to get over that particular subconscious program, the belief that somehow I'm going to be murdered in the street or I'm going to be killed. And, and it's not like I'm engaged in any. I'm 42 years old. I got a beautiful family. I got these. Uh, a beautiful wife. I got five beautiful children. Three sons. Two daughters. We, we, we live in, in a, a middle class neighborhood. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. We haven't always lived in a middle class neighborhood. But, but the point is that even still to this day, there's a part of me. There's this because of, of, of the programming that there's this, this part of me that thinks that okay, I have to catch myself from time to time. Don't go there in your mind to think that something like that is going to happen to you based upon childhood programming. Now, the difference is that back then, I thought that it was inevitable that something like that was going to happen. But over the years, decades of, of personal healing and, and begin to restructuring my mind and, and to think deeper about what's possible for me beyond this notion that somehow you're going to be murdered in the streets because of all the media programming that I received, at least now, when that, when that particular program comes up, I can check it, I can, I can put it in its place. And even more, more importantly, I can make, ensure that my sons do not are, are not exposed to that type of programming to where and, and they they adopt it and then now it becomes this imposition on their the, the future of their life how they perceive what's possible for them what they perceive to be possible in their own life so the, in other words the healing process has not only benefited me in order to move beyond that particular paradigm this this fear-based mind control program based upon trauma but it also puts me in, in, a, in a privileged position to be able to ensure that my sons do not are not exposed and they do not adopt this type of programming and they're they're kept safe from it and that puts them in an advantaged position in other words they will be able to, to move further along in life without those types of roadblocks that i was able to and i would hope that when they have children if they so choose so uh, to do so my, my sons and my daughters that they will do the same for as far as for from our grandchildren and that's the way that this should work mm. wow that yeah. is so deep <laughs> wow yeah, I just want to just sit with that for a little minute, for a minute, if you don't mind. Hmm. That was hmm. fascinating that you and your friend, like, and then I'm assuming the rest of the theater. Oh, yeah. Was, felt, felt that same trauma. Mm -hmm. felt people, that were same running, yeah, people were running all over the place. And, and the, the, you know, when I thought about it later, it was like, wait a minute, why, why were we really running? And it wasn't because someone was outside the park and not shooting because we didn't hurt. We didn't hear any gunshots. But we had already been placed in this, this state of, of extreme fear. And so it was either fight or flight. We come out of the, the movie theater in terms of the, the actual showing of the film. And we're already in that state of mind and that heightened emotional state. And now all someone has to do is suggest that something is actually happening when it's in point of fact not happening. And then you see how people react. You see, and, and I'm gonna tell you, it was so powerful, even when I think about it now, because to hear my best friend, because we, you know, we try to be machismo and, and you know, we, we, we go, we're at school and we walk around all tough and, and hear him yelling and screaming like that and calling out my name. I mean, that was something that I would never forget, you know, and how he fell to the ground and he's crying. I mean, he's in a, that, that, that just, but that just goes to show you, like, we have to be very careful. I think one of the important lessons that we, we can all uh, uh, learn, uh, irrespective of your quote unquote race. 
uh, is, is the value of um, protecting ourselves from negative media programming, uh, trauma-based mind control programming. We have to protect ourselves from that. I mean, so the, the thing is that some of us, we, we get it anyway in life. Why would we want to fortify it by going to, and listening to or viewing those things that actually further fortify it more? You see, and, and that was a mistake on our part, you know, to, to go and go view that. Why, what value is that? Now, would I would I want my sons to go see that movie? Absolutely not. Would I want my daughters? Absolutely not. I want them to, to, to perceive their potential in life to be beyond what is being promoted in many cases to um, trauma-based mind control uh, uh, media program. I want them to be able to perceive uh, uh, greater possibilities than that. It's just that where I was at, where my best male friend was at during that time period, that particular movie triggered such deep trauma and fear within us. To, and now, even outside of, of the movie theater, when we're in the lobby about to exit, someone can simply mention the possibility of something bad happening and then total chaos erupts. Thank you for sharing that story. Wow. And so in my previous incarnation as Hoy Paloy in past shows, um, I would have directed the conversation to my reactionary uh, mindset, and I would have asked uh, two two questions. I would have asked, "Well, who are those people responsible for making that movie, and how did they get involved, and what was their malicious intent, and blah blah blah." And the other question would have been, "Well, as we can see, that person shouting was essentially kind of like what the media does, traumatizing people, except without even using media." And it just brings us back to that idea that, "Oh, okay, there's." People can people can traumatize each other by by like conjuring up the media without even being media themselves. They're just a person on the street. They yell and they create. They like bring it back to that trauma. But now, I'm thinking about it in a different way. I'm thinking about it like, how can we create positive media, regardless of the crimes of of the negative media? How can we create positive media which addresses the concepts of trauma without triggering or re-traumatizing people right where they're at? Um, mm-hmm. And I know we can because I see a lot of that in your evolving work, Lennon. So I, I guess I would like your advice as, as we go forward with our show, um, how we can create a less reactive media because this is what this is. We're in it. You know, we're in, we're creating a podcast, we're creating media. And you're creating media when you do your YouTube channel. And and it's, you might not like this word, but I find it soothing. I find your work soothing in a way. It, it, it's, it's like, it's not traumatizing. And I guess I'd ask you, can we go forward in that vein? And, and maybe there's, Maybe there's potential for collaboration. That's a whole other, it's a whole other uh, thing. I mean, we're we're collaborating right now, which is amazing. Um, uh, but but how can but how can we create more positive media instead of getting redragged into that reactionary, um, you know, uh, the reactionary response? You know, I I even almost imagine that the person who yelled was themselves traumatized and just mm-hmm. wanted to like test reality by saying okay if i do this what is going to happen and how are people going to respond and i don't know you know i'm trying to get into the mentality of someone who could do that to people and and yeah well the thing that i think about is is um sometimes the reaction and even though i think even that person who, who did that they're reacting to Right. Without us even thinking or, concept, or or thinking about deeply what what the what's the next step we're going to take or the next thing we're going to do or the next thing we're going to say, 
We just react. Oftentimes, that reaction is based upon trauma. It's like um, we're putting to this mode we're in. Okay, we're, we're we're just going to react based upon this need to protect ourselves, based upon this need to defend ourselves, based upon this need to keep that child safe. But that assumes that the child is still there in the moment where, in point of fact, that child's experiences is from the past. You're an adult here today. You have power to re- to actualize reality that you want, like right now. It's totally different. Totally different experience now. The power that you have is different now. And so, what I'm getting at is that the. As an adult and as a free thinker, someone who has, has developed intellectually, someone who has matured emotionally, all of us, we have the power to, instead of reacting in the moment, to take a, a moment. And that's why, like, when you said, let me just take a minute, I want to just think on that. That was powerful. That was very powerful. So there were two questions, and all three questions were valid, in my, in my opinion. But there were two, but those two questions, though they were valid, those are more surface-level questions. The third question, that's the powerful question. You see, but but you have to take a step back to get into that mindset of really thinking critically and thinking deeply about it to get to that 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 third question, and that's the most important question. What, what there's no difference than doing something like that than it is when we talk about having the intent to create something positive that's going to uplift people. And what I think about, and, and this is what this is what I've, I've kind of transitioned over to, like over the last six or seven years, is that at, instead of simply focusing on the media and the media programming that's out there and the negative effects and the mind control, the trauma-based mind control program that's out there. Address all of that. Do it in a way where it's not traumatizing other people or we're painting this picture as if it's this, this overwhelming juggernaut that we can't overcome. Because oftentimes I see that taking place. Everything is blown out of proportion. That's reactionary. The, the, that's um, It triggers people's trauma too because if you, if you perceive it to be overwhelming, okay, now what can you do? You're powerless. So what's the solution? In my opinion, I've tried to kind of make this transition over the last six or seven years that I want to present solutions. I want to present examples of what we can do as individuals in our own personal life, whether that's our own personal healing, how we treat other people, how I treat my wife, how I treat my children, how we're trying to raise our family, the general message and theme that we try to present to people. It's more about creating positive relationships amongst each other. Okay, so in other words, yeah, we can talk about the, the media programming, the dysfunctional male-free relationships that are presented in dysfunctional families. I have a PowerPoint presentation. Where I've done lectures and I've, I've done all of that. But I always make sure that I get to the point where, okay, what are some of the solutions? And, and what are some of the things that we can do in order to keep our, our subconscious mind protected from, from this, this media programming? And then even deeper still, reaching to the future, what can we do for our children so that we can keep them protected and safe from this media programming uh, much more than we were because that's going to put them them in a much more uh, empowered position to actualize the reality that we want. And the reason I'm saying that, just to be the last point, is that for a lot of us, we spend so much of our lives just trying to get through the muck and mire of the, the trauma-based mind control, whether that is through media or in some cases, maybe it's even in our childhood trauma. We spend so much time just trying to get through the muck and mire of that. And then at a certain point, there's a light bulb that goes off. And then we, we look back and we say, oh, wait a minute, you know, the world is a lot different than I thought it was. You know, there's a lot going on that I just, I was unaware of. You know, <laughs> I love that about. moment. I love those moments. Yeah, there's, a, there's that moment. But but the thing is that for some of us, we're like, we're getting close to 30 or we're getting close to 40 and we have that moment or we're getting close to 50 and we have that moment that we get to 60, in some cases, 70. And some people never get to that moment. Well, the idea is that if we spend more time and it's not that we, we shouldn't outline the media mind control, the manipulation and, and the trauma-based mind control. Yeah, that needs to be outlined. Any degree of manipulation or mind control uh, that takes place, we should outline that. But ultimately, the difference is to create solutions. And the idea is that if we can create solutions and we can create, uh, uh, put our children or the next generation or the next generation after that in a position to where and they don't have to get to the age of 30 for that light bulb to go off. Or they don't have to get to the age of 40 or 50 or 60 or 7. Maybe that light bulb goes off when they're 7 or 12 or 15. Okay, now you see what I'm saying? 
that's a whole different approach. I think that it puts humanity in a much more in a, in a much more evolved position. It also kind of sets the stage for the next generation. And and this is something I've been thinking about uh, lately um, in terms of my own uh, childhood trauma. I recognize that a lot of, of what I went through and, and I had to get through and I had to heal from, it actually was necessary for me to be in a position today to make sure that my own children don't have to go through that. Well, not just with childhood trauma, this also means that we should also do our best so that our children aren't exposed to as much of the negative media programming, the trauma-based mind control programming that we get in media. That's the solution. And you see that the, uh, the energy behind that is totally different than painting this broad brush that it's it's a juggernaut that's overwhelming and there's nothing that we can do about it and we're so disempowered as a species, it's a totally different orientation. I think that that makes the huge difference. There's nothing wrong with dealing with the topics, but I think that, that part of my transition, my own growth has been to, to get more in line with, with presenting solutions. What can we do to kind of keep ourselves protected from and keep our subconscious mind protected from the trauma-based mind control programming, but then also what can we do for the next generation so that they can have a better opportunity to be a sovereign mind? Wow, that's great. That's so amazing. Kay and I tried to talk about that last issue because we actually had a radio show where we were trying to make it more general for a general audience. It wasn't just for a podcast, you know, very narrow media, social media style audience where there can more easily be echo chambers. We tried to say, okay, what can we, we're broadcasting to like the Twin Cities. What can we say? And this is kind of a silly solution, but we thought, but we came up with put down your phone for a minute and and connect with the person next to you in real life have a have a real life conversation interaction with them um mm -hmm. i don't know do, do you think that's a good one of the good ways of doing the things yeah well what you're bringing to is, is just establishing uh, positive relationships that's been one of the major um speaking points that my wife and i we've promoted whether that's you know um intimate relationships or just you know interpersonal relationships with people that you, you kind of random people that you may meet um, in other words, I think that, that part of um, a healthy platform is to encourage positive relationships amongst people, uh, to encourage people to interact with each other in positive ways. Um, uh, I'll use an example, like on, on my YouTube page, I, I can't tell you the types of comments that I get sometimes, and it's so, oh, so far over the top. Uh, Believe me, you know, we are so not... familiar with these, with the with, with horrible comments. Um, we actually one way that we were probably traumatized while we were making our media critique was. We were called, we were called names like you know, insane, self-hating, fill in the blank, you know, um, mm -hmm. all sorts of things like that. So yeah, no, I'm, yeah, well aware of that kind of. Okay, all right. So you're aware, you're right. And, and uh, for me, uh, one of the things that I try to facilitate on my YouTube page because I get all, and it's not just people directing it at me. Sometimes they're directing it at other people in the comment section. And what, I, what I've tried my best to do is, is, on one hand, when it's directed at me to not take it personally, sometimes I respond, sometimes I don't. Sometimes it, the, the language is so egregious and, and what they're saying is just so horrible. It's like, okay, what's the point of even interacting with someone like that? So I'll just, I'll delete their comment or I'll block them. Sometimes I'll give people a warning. I'll let them know, hey, look, you know, if you, if you can just pull back on the language, any kind of language like that, if you're insulting people and you're calling them derogatory names, you may be calling women derogatory names, calling men derogatory names. I'm just going to delete the comment. If you keep doing it, I'll just, I'll just block you. No hard feelings, right? So the idea is, and then, and then so it's not just the, the messages that are directed at me, but also the, the, the general energy, you know, in the comment section. I, I try my best, and I can't keep on top of it all the time, but I try my best to facilitate an environment where it's, it's more positive. So certain comments, I'll delete them. Because I already know what type of an impact it's going to have on someone else or how someone else will react in the moment. And then now you've got this whole firestorm taking place. And I've seen it so many times over the last decade online. So, so yeah. part of what I'm saying is 
one of the things that we can do and implement it is, is and this gets back to the issue of uh, personal relationships. To, to part of our responsibility, I think, as, as content creators, whether that's uh, you know radio, uh, YouTube, even on Facebook, whatever the case may be, um, we want to make sure that we facilitate an environment to the best of our ability where, where people are not being disrespected, people are not being triggered in negative ways, people feel safe, right? So, so that speaks to this issue of of having more positive relationships amongst each other. And we can actually create environments where people are able to do that. Now, in some cases, we can create the environment while someone's on their phone, right? But we can also say, okay, set the phone down, just bringing it back to your point, set the Mm -hmm. phone down, but then also as you set the phone down, look around you and look at the types of relationships that you can interact and and have in those moments. I I was running errands before I came in today. I had to go to the post office, I had to go to the store to pick up some food for the children. They eat so much, it's ridiculous, okay? And and one of the things that I always do um, is that when I go, uh, and people, they tend to to remember me. Like I'll come in uh, to the post office and they're like, first I look different than most people that they would see in this area, but that's one but also I have this general possibility, I have this positive disposition and, and I'll talk to people. Hey, how's it going today? You know, hey, how are, how are the children? Oh, they're doing fine. And I, I did that at the post office. Now this lady, you know, it's not, she don't even know my name, but she knows me and she knows that I have this, you know, and I have this kind of positive interaction and I've done it now. We've been here for like a year and a half. Well, then when I went to the store, the same thing applies. There's people in the store. They'll, they'll Hey, how's it going? Hey, where's the children today? Oh, they're at home. Right. That That's what I mean. People, we kind of take that for granted as opposed to me being in the store. And, you know, and I'm like this. <laughs> you know? And I'm shopping. Yeah. But I, I'm like, for those I'm who like, can't see, he's, he, you know, he's, right. he's, yeah, he's miming, it's a, it's a looking at a phone <laughs> while he's, uh, yes. looking around. Yes. Okay. So for those y'all didn't see the imagery, I, I had a, a mock phone in my hand. So, so the idea is, yeah, sometimes it's good to, to, to set that down and have humanistic interactions because those are valuable too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wow, great! Thank you. Wow, that's super insightful. Yeah, actually, one of the reasons I stepped away um, from my responsibilities at our discussion forum recently was because, I mean, a lot of it was just uh, art projects are bringing me like like this project bringing me in different directions. But one of them was definitely like the feeling that the negativity was overpowering, and that's that's that I was there. I was there for, I'd say, a good five years at least just feeling that and having that be my emotional truth we need to mm-hmm. you know create this revolution against the juggernaut you know whatever that may be mm-hmm. yes, yes, uh, yes i've been there and <laughs> then then um i'm glad to hear you say that i don't feel so yeah i don't feel so embarrassed <laughs> oh no, no uh, don't be embarrassed about it don't be embarrassed about it at all i've been there then at a certain point i was in two minds about it i was i was i was like okay i'm defending this emotional truth but i'm feeling like i could be better than this is that it you know and so i'm then i started being worried about the accusation of that you know oh if you're comfortable with your life if you're comfortable with the way things are then you're part of the problem Mm. right and mm-hmm. so that that became the thing that I just recently changed in my mind where I was like, you know what? I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe that that um that, now there there is a huge problem with privilege, of course, and people blinding themselves, but that is connected to and that is symptomatic of of ignorance, which mm-hmm. is different from the concept of being aware of very uh negative forces but not letting yourself get dragged down by them. And 
I don't know if there's a way to articulate that in media either, but uh, I think that's what we're trying to do right now. So I really appreciate you um, joining us for this. Oh, oh, my pleasure. Let me just say this. that, that there is, I'm sure that there's a way, because uh, I, I understand exactly what you're saying there, because I've been there myself, and then we reached this this point, and we realized that where we were at was it was it was just another paradigm. You know, that w- before we went into that paradigm, we were in a different paradigm, but then we come into this new one, and we think that now we, we know all this stuff, and, and we have to fight against these forces that are so powerful, and, and, you know, look at what they're doing to us. All You know, but then there's a certain point for a lot, of, and some people get stuck there. It's just part of our, our, our growth. I think we get stuck there, we move on. Uh, some people, re- they go back to where they were before. The, the idea is to keep growing, keep, keep keep evolving. But some of us, we get to a certain point, and then we recognize, wait a minute, there's a whole other plane of, of seeing this that reaches beyond the, the previous paradigm. And, and to be able to articulate that, I think there's a way to do that. I haven't figured it out quite yet. I'm just being honest with you because I've dealt with a lot of people who said the same thing about me. You know, why aren't you talking about the Bilderbergs anymore? Why aren't you talking about the global elite? Why aren't you talking about the, the Illuminati? Why aren't you talking about the global bankers? Why aren't you talking about the reptilian shapeshifters? It goes on and on and on and on. Why aren't you talking about female anymore? Why aren't you talking about heart? It goes on and on and on and on and on. Well, the idea is that I've already spoken about it and I've already done the research on it. I've done documentaries on the topic. But then there came a point where, I, where in my own progressions, in my own understanding, where I realized that there was something uh, uh, there was something more than that, that there was something more for me to strive for that reached beyond simply being stuck in that particular paradigm that ultimately we have to come up to that and begin to, to begin to institutionalize within our own self in the first place uh, uh, solutions, but then also begin to extend it out to the rest of the world. So there's a way to articulate that. I'm not quite sure how it, it should be done because uh, I haven't figured that out quite yet. But I do know that ultimately we have to be honest with our own progressions, no matter where that leads us. Because just as when we came into a particular level of knowledge, there were people who were like, you're crazy. Okay, but then it, but then the people who are on that level of knowledge, they're like, oh, welcome. You're with us. You're, you're with yeah. us. But then you reach another level and they haven't. And now they're saying, you're crazy. <laughs> you know yeah. And it just goes on and on and on. Uh, this is just part of it. And I think that, that ultimately what we have to recognize that it is part of our own progressions in the end, that, that we have to look at our own life as an opportunity to, to grow and progress. And wherever that leads us, whatever paradigm we're in now, just uh, our, we should strive to ascend and, and strive to, to reach higher and higher and higher. And as long as we're true to that and true to ourselves, I mean, that's really what it's about in the end of the day. And then what I can say is once you ascend or you get to that point where you, re- you have a different realization and you move beyond the previous paradigm, whatever that may be, live your life as a living example for others to see. Don't sit back and from the vantage point of I'm going to criticize other people because I see where they're at and I used to be there. No, don't. We we, we shouldn't do that. I see a lot of people do that. What we should right. we, what we should do is try to live as an example for other people to see that wait a minute there is something more that we can achieve that we can aspire towards and that it would actually benefit you if you start to do so. Very important. That's why when you say you know when I look back at, at where I was at you know I, I kind of feel a certain way about it or no 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 I feel ashamed no 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 I've been there. There's going to be a day where, you know, maybe uh, five years from now, uh, 50 years from now, maybe five minutes from now, I'll have a light bulb moment and I'll look back at myself. And I'll, I was, I'm ashamed at myself. <laughs> where I, how I was thinking, how I was no, we can't do that to ourselves. We can't do that to ourselves. It's yeah. all part of our progressions as human beings. And as we continue in the journey, what we do is we, we continue to grow. And then hopefully we surround ourselves with people who are doing the same. You know, and I think that that's part of what your platform is about. That's why I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. That's such a high honor. Gosh, I mean, I sorry. <laughs> Lennon honor, honor. Stop Here we it, go. Boy. Here we go. <laughs> oh, but you made some powerful statements. I mean, about being a living example. It reminds me of be the change you want to see. 
Mm-hmm. You know, be that change. Don't don't whine about it. Don't complain. Be the change. Mm-hmm. Then you don't have to worry about whining about it. There you go. Very powerful stuff. out of questions even though at the same time i have so much more than the ones i wrote down now i I guess uh we could talk about anything you'd like yeah i mean anything at all we're really open we just want to have a good conversation uh, an uplifting conversation or uh, or or even if it makes us feel kind of like we drug ourselves crappy (laughs) through the muck and then it became uplifting whatever whatever (laughs) no 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 and that's the other thing I think we have to recognize is that um, there is a, a reason why the issue of media mind control and trauma-based mind control, there's a reason why that should be discussed uh, because it, it is, it is, uh, it impacts people in so many different ways. It impacts everybody to some degree. Um, so I think the conversation, it's important to have the conversation about that, but then, then, you know, there has to be a conversation uh, for balance sake to, to talk about like, what can we do? You know, what is it that we can do? And I, I, I'll just throw a couple of things out there for, for people in, in the, the listening and viewing audience, uh, things that, that, that are practical that my wife and I, we have done um, in order to, to not only ensure that we're not impacted with the negative media programming, 
but also to, more importantly, to ensure that our children are not uh, impacted by the negative uh, media program, the trauma-based mind control program. And, and point of fact, uh, as another example, porn is a form of trauma-based mind control program. People don't think about it, but in, in point of fact, it is. So I want to give you guys a story because this is something that, that um, my wife and I, we've been very clear about with our children. We've protected them. In fact, one of the reasons why I got into analyzing media was because I, I started to notice uh, maybe when my oldest son, he's 14 now, when he was about two, I started to really think about um, some of the imagery that was in cartoons, uh, some of the themes and imagery that was in cartoons, and in particular in Disney films. And I was, some of that stuff, I was like, what is this? What's going on here? Why are they putting that out there for, for children? And why is it that so many of these stories, these fantasy stories, is the parents are, are not around? You know, the children are, you know, the parents have died or they're just not present. I yeah, mean, what is that, that is why? typical. There's what? always some uncle or some, yeah, like just absent yeah. parents or disjointed families. Yeah, it's an interesting mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it's, but that's trauma-based mind control program because you're traumatizing a child. It is in, in the child's nature to want to see a whole family, to see their father and mother in their life, to see a, a family and student that's whole and healthy. But but that's a, that's a thing that you don't see in general. What you tend to see is broken families. You see, uh, I, I mean, I give you a whole list of, of, but even Bambi, you know, Bambi and, and the trauma of, of Bambi's mama being, you know, that, I mean, why why put something out there for little children to see? You know, the, the and, and these characters, even in, in the case where they're animals, these they're anthropomorphic. In other words, they're animals that are supposed to represent humans. They have these humanistic characteristics and they operate as human beings. Well, what you're really telling the story of this Bambi, this 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 child and this child's mother being murdered. And and you have to witness that as a child, but somehow it's okay because it's a cartoon. Why put that kind of stuff out there? So it was very clear to me at, at once my son, we were about two or three years old, my oldest son, I was like, wait a minute, something, something's not right about this. And that's when I began the, the media analysis of, of Disney films. Uh, I, I started to get into the entertainment industry, more specifically with music videos. Uh, I mean, I have a whole series of, of documentaries that address a lot of this, the Borg agenda, uh, the sexualization of technology. I mean, it goes on and on and on. But one of the things that happened for me was um, it wasn't enough to talk about it. I had to recognize that there was something that I needed to do as a parent for my children to keep them safe from that type of media programming. And my wife and I, we've been very uh, clear about this. They have been exposed to very little of that type of programming. And not only have they been exposed because we've been very careful about what they're what they're able to. We don't even have a TV in the home. Right. We, we haven't had a TV in the home. Uh, it's been over a decade. These things that we can do now. We also they can get on the Internet, but we also yes, we, we monitor what they what they watch on the Internet. And we've all, also it's not just about telling them that you can't. You also have to have intelligent conversations with your children. Yeah, these are solutions. Yes. Intelligent conversations. And these conversations have to take place at an early age so that you train them to think critically so that they can have yes. discernment. That's the word that we use. Discernment. discernment. To be able to determine That's whether or not something in your best interest or something is not in your best interest. So much of the media, it's not in our best interest, but we watch it anyway. Well, we've trained our children. So let me give an example of what I mean, because this is something that's been ongoing. My, my oldest son is 14 now, so he's had over a decade of training in this way to think critically and ask critical questions. So I've talked to them about uh, porn. I've talked to them about the, the hazardous effect of it. I've talked to them in terms of how it impacts male-female relationships and how it promotes sexism and misogyny. It goes on and on and on. Now, I, don't, I may not use the same language that I'm using here, but I've talked with my sons about this. If you're online and something pops up on the screen and, and it's inappropriate, and you know what that means, son. It's inappropriate. Yes, and they know what that means. It's inappropriate. You click out of it, or if you can't click out of it, you come to me and you tell me. And there's been plenty of times that they've done this. They've already been trained. Now, real world, once they get out into the real world, so our, our all of our children have been homeschooled up until now. Our oldest two boys, 14 and 13 respectively, they've gone to homeschool the first time. I mean, they've been they've been in the public education system for the first time in their life. They, they had asked about going about two years ago. My wife and I, we didn't feel comfortable, but at this point, they're prepared. They're, they're doing fantastic, too, by the way. And we're very happy for them, and, and they're doing well. But this doesn't mean that they're not going to get certain experiences there that I would much rather them not have, right? But that's the world. Here's an example of what I mean. So 
maybe after about two weeks of them being there, and there had already been some situations that took place socially that we, I know I had to write letters or what have you, because I have to be proactive in my son's life, both of my son's lives, uh, all of my children's lives. But uh, my son, I, we always ask them when they come home, is there anything take place? Is there any kind of problems that you want to talk about? You know, what is it? And they, sometimes, yes, they start to tell us and we talk with them. And if, uh, if I need to make a phone call or what have you, or if I need to give them some direction on what they need to do in terms of whatever, we do this every single day. But, but on this particular day, um, my son, he says, yeah, well, I was at, at lunch and uh, I was eating my lunch and a group of boys, they came and sat uh, at my table and they introduced themselves. And then one of the boys asked me, what kind of porn do you like to watch? Mm. Okay, my, my uh, oldest son, he is in the ninth grade. Okay, so these boys may be eighth or ninth graders. Okay, so, I, so I'm sitting back and we were actually walking. We were walking up from the bus stop while he was telling me this. And I said, okay, well, what happened after that? He says, well, what I did was I said, and this is what he did. He says, um, well, I, I stood up and I said, excuse me, guys, I got to go. And he, he said he picked up his lunch and he walked and he, he went and sat at a different table. That's powerful, okay. too. That's powerful. a great solution. And, what I did, and, and when he told me that, I mean, I was my heart. I was just like, you know, and I was so proud of him. I put my shoulder on arm like this. I pulled him <laughs> over and I, son, you know what? I'm so proud of you. You did the right thing. That's how we raised you. And you did the right thing. This shows that you are your own man and that uh, you, what is the term I use? You're your own man and you're not going to uh, yield to peer pressure. And he says, okay, dad. You yeah, see? that's exactly so now, what that was. No, it, it wasn't really yeah. anything more than peer pressure even. Because that's, that. why mm-hmm. else would you ask a question like that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you're, and, and it's totally out of context. You're inside, like what, what you're inside, of, you're trying to eat lunch. And this is something that comes up for conversation. What's going on here, right? right? So, so to, to me, it just illustrates the power that, that uh, we can invest into our child. It's not about... Uh, uh, having power over them. It's about empowering them so that they can have discernment so that when these types of situations take place, they will make the best decision or they'll make a choice that's in their best interest. And my son did that. But see, on the other hand, if my wife and I, if we had not been so diligent over these many, many years, it's been over a decade uh, dealing with, with, you know, older son is 14 now. If we have been so diligent, maybe we put on that movie that kind of promoted the sexualization of children. or Maybe we, we allowed them to watch that television show that was talking about dysfunctional male from relations. The movie, the show that comes to mind was Married with Children and how they portrayed uh, the daughter as kind of like this uh, uh, dumb blonde archetype, but she was also sexually promiscuous. If we let them watch that kind of thing, then they may start to get ideas about, you know, uh, a women or ideas about what it means to be a, a young boy or a young man. And then when they're put in a situation at lunch where they have a group of, of their peers trying to peer pressure them and asking questions like what kind of porn that you like, okay, now they start to engage in that conversation. And as they engage in that conversation, now a dialogue is taking place that is, that is surrounded by, uh, around the notion of watching porn. And then that may lead to something else. And then that will lead to something else. And that will lead to something else. But because we were diligent, we have been and we continue to be as a solution with our children in terms of preparing them so that when they're exposed to not just the programming, but then also those who are kind of promote the programming, they would use discernment and they would stand based up, stand up on principle, literally in my son's case, stand up on principle and walk away. That's a powerful testament. That's what I mean by solutions, right? That is wow. great. Wow. Wow. I have beautiful. to stand up for cartoons because as a cartoonist, I do make, I make some weird cartoons and I'm in a community of cartoonists and they make things that are really rude and, and strange and probably some form of exercising trauma, like exercising, mm-hmm. like, like as, as an, as in an exorcist, because it seems like sometimes it's just like so rude and crude that they're, they're almost just like recycling it and just getting it out. And really, it was almost like a, there was this, okay, there's this group called the Cartoonist Conspiracy. It's a joke because 
there's no there's no conspiracy it's just people getting out of the house and not drawing in their basement or whatever but actually like drawing together in like a coffee shop and they'll do these ridiculous cartoons that are actually really strange and almost like not for the public and yet um they'll publish them online and very few people will look at them it's just, it's almost just like this exercise in um some kind of weird therapeutic thing and and then it does make me wonder about the the cartoons and comics I've seen where there are like for example superhero stories which are which are very which can be extremely violent and yet also not show the true meaning of violence at the same time mm-hmm. and so these kinds of things are on my mind and and also I I respect comics as a form of literature so for me it's also kind of like about um, it, it brings me back to just weird things like fairy tales. And I think, you know, like Grimm's fairy tales and all that stuff from Europe was really dark stuff, like in yeah. the sense that mm-hmm. it's very gruesome and about mm-hmm. uh, similarly to Disney stuff, yep. missing parents, broken up uh, families and, and uh, you know, evil lurking everywhere. And, and And I think, you know, what is the reason for these saturating our culture and and the global culture now because america is so good at just exporting its media and uh yeah and i think there there might be something good to it but there's also there's a lot of unresolved tension in the in the existence of those of those things like i i personally i don't like horror movies that's where i draw the line but i know many many of my friends who do enjoy horror movies and i I don't. I, I wasn't like your son, like standing up and just walking away. Um, but at times, you know, people would be like, "Do you want to watch a horror movie?" And like, frankly, no. I don't really want. I no. Like, I don't really want to watch people getting harmed, and I don't find it entertaining. I don't find it. If I'm going to see something horrible happen, I want to see it reconciled in a story about getting over trauma and and something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see something where there's just. It's all about oh, how afraid we were when we watched this movie and, and how, how it affects the way we think when we walk around at night or how it makes us think about our own gender. You know, all, all these evil men running around trying to be serial killers and things like that. It's, it's like, uh, yeah, that, that kind of thing is super uh, weird to me. But that's, 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 that's my border. And I, I respect yours too. And, and that, you know, there's certain things that, that are really mainstream that actually are gruesome, inappropriate, um, just traumatizing. Yeah. Uh, I, what comes to mind too, as you say that, uh, is, uh, the whole zombie phenomenon that that's become so prolific uh, these days, you know, shows about zombies, uh, or the walking dead or, or shows or movies about them. Um, there's a lot of video games too, by the way. Yeah, um, yeah. that's a whole other area in terms of trauma-based microchip. That's a whole, whole. I mean, video games are very popular, obviously, but but the whole uh, blood and gore of fighting these these zombies and the idea is that the, these zombies are less than human, so somehow that justifies you, you know, taking a hatchet and hatching them up and cur- killing them or shooting them or murdering them, uh, what have you. Um, th- you know, there's something too that I think there's something to um, the proliferation of of blood and gore and um, 
uh, what are the types of movies you were just talking about? The um, horror genre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the reason why it's hard for me to those movies to come to mind is because I don't watch those either. My wife and I were always looking for a good movie to watch and sit down and kind of watch, you know, uh, just kind of to have some time to with each other. And we never watch a horror film. That's something that's just completely off, off of limits. And part of the, the reason why is because I, I think once you start to really see the value of life, and what that all means. And we've had five children up to this point and, and, and not just having those five children, but my wife carrying each one of those children and seeing her belly grow and that whole, I miss all of that. It's probably not going to happen again. She doesn't want to have any more children. I miss all of that. And when I see women who have that belly and, and I see that I, there's, you know, I, there's something about it that, that uh, I start to smile and it, it makes me feel really good, you know, but that's because of the value that I have on life. I think that, that it's, it's somewhat different uh, because of the amount of children that we've had. And, and even in the midst of having these children, all the different struggles, but then also recognizing that no matter what we go through, life is going to find a way. Life is going to find a way to, to, to grow. Life is going to find a way to survive. So the antithesis of that is, for me, when it comes to media, is to sit back and watch a, a movie or a television show or, or what have you. Where, and it's just excessive uh, death and excessive murder. And it, it's, it's the antithesis of, of, of what I feel is, is life is about. I, it's hard for me to get into that. You know, there's a difference, though, because when I was younger, um, there was times where I did watch movies like uh, Jason uh, and uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street when they first used to come out. Those I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I don't know. That's a long time ago. Uh, but that was because of where my mindset was at then. But there came a point where there was a, it was almost like I had to shut all of that type of thing off because it wasn't reflective of my value system in terms of the respect that I have for life. But then, but then we can also ask the question, you know, the people who produce this, why are they producing it? Is it simply because it's profitable? But, but if it is profitable, why is it profitable? Well, that's because people are buying it. People want to see it. Well, then, okay, well, why do people want to buy it and why do people want to see it? Because now we can get into where's their psychology? What is their emotional state? So I think it opens up a lot yes. for, for discussion in terms of, of people trying to understand why it has become uh, such a profitable uh, genre, horror films, horror video games, horror television shows. Uh, but then also why is that so many people uh, are, are compelled to want to watch it? You know, that's something I think as individuals we can ask. Again, I'm not judging anyone because it's, it's free will, but we can ask the question, why is that something that, that is appealing to me? Mm, yeah for me it's you know i have close relationships who watch movies that i couldn't watch or just didn't want to watch having the discussion made them uncomfortable so mm-hmm. i've noticed that that discomfort is associated with something connected with why they want to watch the movie in the first yeah. place yeah, for sure. mm-hmm. it's a conversation that i'd like to probably try to have with um with people maybe maybe it's appropriate for the show one day maybe not but uh that that's definitely something I'd like to get into. <laughs> I think you should. <laughs> I think you should. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Just summarizing real quick. So this the theme of the show was healing from media deception. Mm-hmm. And so some of the solutions you gave, um, do you mind if I just review those real quick? Yeah, sure. <laughs> just like it was a summary. So um, Lennon, you thought a big one was limit exposure to media. Mm-hmm. So... When I think of that, I mean, I think of corporate media. I don't think of, like, independent media. I think of, like, you know, Disney movies and horror films and, like, you know, made by the big giant studio people who who may have an ulterior motive in mind in releasing that maybe we might not know of. I don't know. I kind of I go there because, I mean, this pattern of traumatizing viewers – like Disney through, I mean, is there one Disney movie with where um, a hero or heroine has both parents? 
I thought of something. I thought of something. When when we were talking about that, The Incredibles is about a superhero family. Yeah, that's not about. But but it's hard. I mean, even when you said that, I kind of froze. I was trying to think of of, of some Disney films. That, <laughs> that, but this goes back to the issue, and I think this is important to the outline. It's not that everything is bad, but we also have to recognize that not everything is good. And the idea is to have discernment one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Discernment. Yes, um, I so, loved that word when yeah. you said that. Yeah, that, that's huge. I think that, that that's very important. You know, there's something else too, Kay, I, I want to bring up too uh, in terms of as a, as a solution because I, I've talked a lot about this. Um, one is the limited exposure and more specifically limited exposure uh, to, to negative media programming that can actually traumatize per, uh, tra- traumatize a person. And, and the reason why I bring up trauma is because I have this kind of like this logic stream that trauma brings forth fear. Fear brings forth the externalization of power and externalization of power brings forth control. Right. So so there's always th- this this process that we go through. There's some sort of initial trauma. And out of that, we become fearful. But then out of that fear, if it goes unresolved, if the fear goes unresolved or unchecked and the, the trauma goes unresolved and, and, and unchecked, then now we go to the next level. And that's where we begin to externalize our power. OK, that's when someone out there is trying to get me or that's when the Illuminati or, or that's when the global bankers or that's when the reptilian shapeshifters. So so we're stuck in this paradigm based upon trauma based uh, programming that, that puts fear in us. But that fear ultimately causes us to externalize power. But what's the, the ultimately what happens is, is the more power that we externalize, the more controlled we actually become. So the notion of moving beyond that which we feel is traumatizing us that has so much power, it becomes it just becomes an, abs- uh, uh, an impossible notion to transcend it because you've already given all your power away and it's controlling you. And it's a juggernaut. There's nothing that you can do about it. So, so what part of what I'm saying is to, to, to make sure that we... Uh, um, limit our exposure to that type of programming that will get us on course to being traumatized, to become fearful, to begin to externalize power, and then ultimately relinquish our control, allow someone else to control us, or allow something that we perceive to have that much power over us to control us. That could be Santa Claus. It may not even be real, but we can still externalize power to it. But there's something else, too, and, and this is something I've talked about, that the, the, the process of purifying our media stream. Okay, so more specifically, when we talk about resolving trauma as it relates to uh, uh, trauma-based mind control uh, control programming in media to purify that media stream. So that can be anything. It can be the shows that you're watching, the television shows, the movies, the music that you're listening to, what you're viewing online. It can be the books that you, the magazines. That, that we should do our due diligence to think about what it is that we're consuming in terms of media and ask the question whether or not it is something that is in our best interest. Discernment. If it is in our best interest, then we keep it. If it's not in our best interest, if it's causing us to be traumatized, become fearful, to externalize power, and to maintain ourselves in a state of control, or something external of us is controlling us, well, then now what do we do? We purify that particular media stream out of our space. We purify it. That, that's when we have to let it go. And I'm going to tell you that, that I've gone through this whole experience of, of, you know, going through the depths of the rabbit hole where stuff was so dark. You know, it was overwhelming. Uh, you know, there was a time where I thought that reptilian shapeshifters, you know, that, that they were going to come and, and steal my children. I mean, it was just out of control. I was so far beyond any, any sense of, of, of logic or reason. But the reason why was because I had been traumatized. I, and I, I had become so fearful. And out of that fear, I began to externalize power. And as I externalized power, I thought that there was this overwhelming juggernaut that was controlling me. So, so, so part of what has happened is over the years, I've had to purify that type of media out of my life. And what, it, what happens is, is as you purify the toxic media, you begin to bring in the more positive media, the more healthy media that empowers you. That now, you, And as you're empowered, now you take control back. As you take more control back, you basically get to the point where uh, you no longer externalize your power. And as you internalize your power, there's nothing to fear. 
And as you recognize that there's nothing to fear, now you begin to deal with the initial trauma. And as you deal with that initial trauma and as you resolve that initial trauma, you become more and more empowered. Now, here's a, here's a powerful thing about this. Just as we can apply this to media, we can also apply that to our own personal experiences in life. The traumas that we experience as children, they cause us to become fearful. Fearful of my father. Fearful of being a failure in life because of my father. Fearful that I was going to, to die young because of the media programming. We, I was externalizing power out of that fear. I didn't, have a, I didn't have power to actualize the reality that I want. You know, I, I'm disempowered. And out of this disempowerment, now I always perceive something external for me has control over me. E even the notion that someday, somehow, I would become my father, that was a form of control. You see, somehow I would become Darth Vader. That was a form of control. But what has happened is as I began to deal with this form of control and relinquish those things that were triggering my trauma, and um, relinquishing the people who triggered my trauma, relinquishing the neighborhoods that triggered my trauma, relinquishing the, the relationships that triggered my trauma. As I did that, I began to move beyond the sense of control. And as I moved beyond the sense of control, I began to empower myself. I began to embrace my power as opposed to externalizing it. I began to internalizing it, uh, internalize it. As I internalize it, the fear began to subside. As the fear began to subside, I began to really focus on the initial trauma and heal the initial trauma. You see, so even if we want to put it in the scope of mass media, that's wonderful, but we can also put it within the scope of our own personal life. And one of the most powerful things that we can do is to purify all of our lives, those things that are triggering our trauma and continuous, uh, continuous, uh, continuously put us on path to ultimately traumatization, fear, externalization of power, and then state of control. That is beautifully said. My, my that is exactly, that's, <laughs> wow, that's great. I like the, the sentence, something external of me has power over me. I mean, think how ridiculous, I mean, we let that happen, but it's not, I mean, I'm the one moving my limbs, I'm the one thinking, I'm the one moving forward, but when you externalize power, you let that thing control you. Very, very well said. Yeah. And oftentimes that thing is not even a real thing. Can I, uh, let me go back. To, I'm like, right? I gotta do this. Let me do this. I gotta go back to Santa Claus. <laughs> we started with Santa Claus. Maybe we can end with Santa Claus. Think of the concept and idea of Santa Claus and how Santa Claus is used as a tool of psychological warfare against children. So here's the idea. There's this guy who somehow is omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's like a god being in essence. He lives in, a, in, a, in the North Pole somewhere. He has these uh, elves that help him and, and they get all these presents and he has reindeer that can fly. Wow, this is a, this guy right here. He's a superhero. <laughs> okay. But, but you tell the children that this guy exists. But the idea, the caveat is this. He exists so that you can have presents on Christmas. Oh, every child wants a present on Christmas. But he also knows when you're naughty or nice. Okay, so this is the traumatization part. He knows when I'm naughty or nice. Yeah, so you better be good. And if you're not good, you're not going to get presents. Mm -hmm. so, so you're traumatizing the child. You're saying you're not going to be able to get presents if you're not good. But then out of that, they become fearful. And because, and what are they fearful of? They're fearful of not getting presents. You see how this works? <laughs> but now out of this fear, they begin to externalize power. Who do they externalize power to? Well, on one hand, they externalize the parents, but ultimately they externalize onto Santa Claus. Santa Claus isn't even real. <laughs> <laughs> and out of this externalization of power, they're rendered into a state of control. The parents now can control them. Look, anytime the child's not acting right, okay, well, Christmas is coming in, in a month or two. 
Uh, you better be on your best behavior. You better get those good grades in school. You better listen to me because Santa Claus is ever watching. He's omnipresent. He's watching. He knows if you're naughty or nice. So you, you see you see that this is trauma-based mind control. In essence, you traumatize a child. You, you put them in a state of fear. And then they begin to externalize power. And as they externalize power, you can maintain them in a state of control. And guess what? Santa Claus isn't even real. That, I mean, that's, that's the, 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 the truly, that's the mind-boggling part about this. But guess what? There's all types of Santa Clauses that we use. <laughs> People use all types That's of Santa Claus. Because Santa Claus is a concept. It's an idea. That, that, and, and so so people can use that idea and name it something else. They'll name it something else. But the idea is that you want to subjugate someone else. You want to traumatize them, uh, put them in a state of fear, have them externalize their power, in some cases to you. And as they externalize power to you, you can render them into a state of control. Right. So so I think Santa Claus is an excellent analogy of this in terms of how people use these mythical, simple myths as a means of controlling other people to, to get people to be uh, rendered into a state of fear so they can externalize their power. Mm. Using myths, yeah. Dancing through the snow. <laughs> I know one of our soul things like. <laughs> They're fun to sing, though. I'll tell you what. I, yeah, yeah, I like yeah. to sing the songs. I mean, but yeah. That's nice songs. <laughs> <laughs> so creepy, though. I was like, Santa's watching me. You know, but it's a myth. But the myth is he's, he's has so much power in order for him to do all these things. And, and not only does he know if you're being naughty or nice, but he knows if every little child is being naughty or nice. That, that's that's externalizing power to this this godlike being, but parents use it all the time to keep their. Ch- I don't know if parents still do it. I don't know. I mean, it's 2018, but there was a time when that, I mean, parents really taught their children this, but ultimately it was just to control them. Before we uh, managed to get this call working, Kay and I were talking about the different ways that people see what is a Santa Claus versus what is. Uh, I don't know what's a positive example of something like. Um, let's let's say a. a a, a healing form of a religious experience, let's say. And different religions will say, well, no, your God is the Santa Claus. And the other religion will say, no, your God is the Santa Claus. And trying to get to that point where we're we're understanding if we even have to have that discussion in the first place. But once we but once we accidentally find ourselves in that discussion, oh, I just I just revealed that I think your God is a Santa Claus. Oh shoot. You know, that kind of thing. Is that conversation possible between between friends even you know and 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 things like that that's and ultimately i think Kay gave the best advice which is that we just don't need to go there right now <laughs> <laughs> i would agree too i always look at it as, as we're all in our own process and, and regardless of where we're, we may think that we are there's someone else, we may think that you know we're at a certain point there's other people that will look upon where we're at and say okay i know where you're at there's other people that say oh, i want to get there um, and we have to kind of respect everyone's uh, place as so long as, as they're not, you know, purposely harming someone else. Uh, so if someone wants to believe in Santa Claus uh, and there are plenty of people, uh, I mean, hey, uh, more power to them, I guess. Uh, the way that I look at it is, and this is kind of like my philosophy, is that that, uh, that reality is relative and, and that, that what you perceive to be your own personal reality, uh, it will be. Uh, but then there's also a greater reality in terms of the the collective, the human species, and that's when you get into things like natural law, things that you cannot escape from. But in your own personal reality, you can accept Santa Claus. You can believe in that if you want to. You can think that they're gremlins. You know, I mean, whatever you want to do, reptilian shapes, that's perfectly fine. It's totally up to you. But ultimately, you're going to have to deal with the greater reality at some point in some time. Real quick, um, 
Last year, the, the uh, one of our neighbors, the young girl, I, I was uh, cleaning up the yard in the front yard, and she she uh, happened to walk by. And she was like, uh, she started talking to me, and, and somehow she brought up Santa Claus. She's like, you believe in Santa Claus? I said, no. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry for laughing, but her 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 jaw dropped and her facial expression, and I didn't I mean I didn't really think about it in advance of me saying that to her because because right. in my household we don't teach that. It's like, no, I'm not going to lie to a child and say that I do believe. I, I just don't do that. I won't lie to my own children. I'm going to lie to some other children, some child that happened to be a neighbor that happened to be walking down the street. But in the in that moment, though, after she she walked away and her heart was in despair. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. Oh, I yeah, had, no, it's... I, it, it made, I had to stop. I had to stop for a moment, and I, I recognized that I should have been more careful. And, and I just, I want to make this point to you all. We have to be careful because, you know, sometimes, you know, people's beliefs and what people believe in, they believe so strongly. And, and we know that it's not true. We know that's not true, but it may not necessarily benefit them to tell them the truth in that moment. And, and in that moment, I shouldn't have said that to that baby girl. You know, she wasn't a baby, but I shouldn't have said that to because because I can tell that, that it hurt her. I, yes, I was telling the truth. OK, we all know that. But but in retrospect, it was, I should have been more sensitive to that. So so the point that I'm making is that we also do, regardless of where we think that we're at in our own personal progressions, we need to be sensitive to where other people are, are at and make sure that, that uh, even if we know their belief to be false, we have to pick and choose when it is appropriate for us to engage that conversation or uh, pick and choose whether or not it's necessary to engage in that conversation at all. Is it possible for us to repair relationships that we've damaged because of of that? I, I'd like to go back to someone, you know, I, I, I had a a Santa Claus moment, or I don't know what we want to call these moments, and, <laughs> Santa Claus and, moment. and, and I, like I could see that her heart sank, and I, I just wanted to, you know, now I would love to go back and say, you know, it wasn't really my place to be arrogant about my opinion uh, at that point. It doesn't matter how politely I was being arrogant, I was still being arrogant, <laughs> and I, I just, and if there's any way I can listen to you about your view and and you know i don't know it it sometimes i think about those those things and i don't want to be one of those people that just burns all the bridges you know with a we'll have a pyrrhic victory you know like no it's not i'm no longer interested in that yeah i've been there too Okay, I've been there, Hoy. I've uh, I've burned bridges in the past, and and in retrospect, I I look back and I was, you know, I wish I hadn't done that, you know. But again, I got to respect where I was at in my mentality at that time period too. Yeah. Um, But but what you expressed though, and how you just expressed it, if you feel like uh, it it is something that you need to do to get it off of your chest or get it out of off of your heart, if you will, to to contact that person and and say exactly what you just said candidly, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Either they will accept it or they will reject it. Uh, If they accept it, great, you can move forward. Uh, if they reject it, great too, because you've said your piece and you can let it go. You know, mm. uh, I think that that I think for a challenge for a lot of us is that we don't actually have that opportunity sometimes to kind of mend bridges because those people maybe they was five years ago or ten years ago. We don't know where they're at now. You know, we, yeah. we don't we haven't you know. So if you if you do feel like there's something that needs to take place and you can contact that person, I would encourage you to do so. You know. Mm. Thanks, Lennon. Yeah. I, I might just do that. Yeah. If she'll talk to me. <laughs> I would say, um, Hoy, first build the friendship before, like, if you haven't spoken to her in a while, don't be like, hey, remember when I traumatized you before? <laughs> you know, first build a relationship oh. and then see if bringing that up is possible. Sometimes just building a new relationship heals the trauma from before without bringing it up. 
what I noticed. Yeah, very mm. true. Very true. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you, Kay. Because <laughs> I, too, have insulted people. And I'm like, should I go there? Should I? Ah, what do I do? Yeah. But, you know, you learn from it, too. You're like, okay, well, I won't make that mistake again. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. And that's also that's healing actually the trauma, true of what happened. Right? Yeah. She was a guinea pig on my beliefs. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It happens. Well, it's been really lovely. Uh, let's just call it an evening for now. And But in any case, Lennon, it's just been great. I hope that we can have more conversations in the future. I'd also understand if after reflection you're like, that was miserable. But just oh, let no, us no, know. No, no. I, I, just let us know. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. If you guys want me on in the future, just send me an email and uh, I'll be here. Thank you so much. I enjoyed uh, the conversation. Hoy, thank you for the opportunity. And, and Kate, thank you for the opportunity. And you guys are wonderful people. And anytime uh, I can connect with some wonderful people, I, I embrace it. So thank you so thank you both so much. Thank oh, you. Excellent. Thank you so very much. You've you've raised our, our the the caliber of our show to a new level that I I hope that we can um, meet meet again, you know, in future episodes all the time. Oh, well, thank you. And again, we, we raised, if we did raise it, we did it together. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh. And that reminds me, we have to say it together. We, we do this, we do our, our, um, our affirmation, which is let's keep it real together. Let's okay, keep it so real together. Okay. okay. Who's going to count us down? Lennon, you count Lennon, us can down. You do the, oh, okay. can, Lennon, can you do the okay. honor? Do the honors. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> okay, here we go. One, two, three. Let's, Let's keep, keep it real, real together. 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 Oh, that's good. That's as together as we're going to get. <laughs> I think that's the best we can do. <laughs> yeah, that's good for now. That's good. Yeah. It's great for now. What do you mean good? That was awesome. Okay, all right. All it right. was wonderful. <laughs> okay, sure. Uplift, yeah. Uplifting. Uplifting media. Yeah.